Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of This Month in Sales Enablement. My name is Felix Kruger, and as always, I'm joined by the fabulous Devin McDermott, straight from LA. Welcome, Devin. Hello, Felix. How are you today? I am very well, Devin. We have such an action-packed agenda today, and I literally cannot wait to dive into it. We've got a bunch of insights from the recent interviews. We have research reports galore. We've got social media buzz. But before we get started, Devin, I'm confused. I really need your help with this one. All right. Okay. So Stephanie from the Enablement Squad, she's confessed in an interview that I had with her that she is essentially a 60-year-old woman in a 30-year-old body. You're the Golden Girl super fan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I recently pulled my back sneezing to a heart. What is going on? Is sales enablement indeed a accelerator for the aging process? Is this the scientific breakthrough nobody's been asking for? And do we need to start counting sales enablers ages in dog years? What is going on? I think we might have to, but if we're getting closer to being as amazing and fun as the Golden Girls faster than everyone else, I think that's a good thing. I'm not scared. I think embrace it, Felix. Get some icy hot or some ointment and just keep on going. It's going to be okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I might request a special haircut uh, next day that makes me uh, <laughs> part of the Golden Girls. Maybe some curls and yes, yes. And little known fact as well, uh, you named your dog after one of the Golden Girls as well, right? This is true. Blanche Devereaux, the multi-poo, and she lives up to her name is all I will say. She is a character. So yeah. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> all right. Enough of our accelerated aging process. Let's take a look at the insights from the latest podcast episodes. And we start off with Stephanie Sorabian. She is now at Cisco, very present in the sales enablement space. And we had an interview about digital adoption and she shared her thoughts with us. Let's take a listen at what she had to say. The biggest problem I try and solve for is to answer that so what question. I'm a Peloton person now. Getting up on that treadmill is literally 97% of the battle. <laughs> we can use that same knowledge with our sellers. We just got to get them there. It's all about that catalyst to engage them. All right. So Stephanie's take on digital adoption, very interesting. She compares it to the latest Peloton treadmill that she bought. Getting on that treadmill is 90% of the battle. Very interesting analogy. Like that's what digital adoption is there for, right? And yeah. it's always a question of the sales enablement and possibly also sales management driving that adoption and really making sure that technology has been sourced to enhance certain processes that it really adds value and then take mm -hmm. all the sales reps onto the journey. Have you ever come across a situation where it's worked the other way around, where sales reps actually have actively driven the sourcing of a certain technology platform or a paid version of a technology platform because they've been already being using it. Have you ever come across that case? I've never come across that case, but that is incredibly interesting. I've definitely had like some SDRs try out tech like Vidyard and say, what do you think about this? But nothing that ever really gained a lot of traction or stuck within the organization. And I think that's part of it, right? It's like, creating something that people want to go back to, something that is fun and interesting 
and easy. And so like we definitely have folks that are out there exploring and using, you know, some free software and things like that, but nothing that really stuck. I'd say like we went through a journey with call recording where we introduced it to the organization. Everyone had that like immediate allergic reaction, like how dare you, big brother, yada, yada. We've all heard it. And then six months in, once we have people actively using it and they're figuring out interesting new ways to use it beyond what we've shared with them, now they're evangelizing it with their peers. Someone on our solutions consulting team actually was quoted in a conference at Gong by someone that they had like engaged with just talking about how amazing it was for their productivity. And they sent it to me and I was like, this is so meta and so cool. We're like, these folks really didn't want to use this software and now it's serving them. And, and I think like that Peloton example got me really excited, first of all, because I'm a huge Peloton nerd. Like, I think we need to do some sort of enablement Peloton group, but we can talk about that offline. <laughs> but it's true. It's like they've made a platform where it's incredibly well gamified. It gets you to do something that most people don't want to do because they make it easy. They make it fun. They give you things that you can't get in other places. Like a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to embarrass myself deeply. They launched the new Harry Styles album. And they did it before it was even released anywhere. And they had a listening party and a ride and I got my friends to do it. And so like just thinking about how simple that gamification is for exercising, something that people hate doing, and they make it something that you want to go back to that you're talking about. We're talking about it on an enablement podcast. So I loved that example. And and the episode as a whole was terrific. But now I need to spend more time with my reps to see what secret software they're using that I need to find out about. Yeah, that's right. I think it can be quite interesting. My experience personally is that sales reps are typically the more tech savvy people in the whole sales department because they have to be the most resourceful and they really become experimental and resourceful when it comes to solving certain problems, which is then when they start using free software that solves a certain problem for them. I think that is probably something worth considering. Maybe also something proactively sourcing, you know, like when you talk to the sales reps, actually asking, hey, is there any software that we don't provide that you use to make your job easier? Anything that you can recommend from other users in your community that might be useful for us to look at and so on. So I think that's very useful. But also what you said about the mention at the conference about the use case of their platform, I think it's also really interesting. Something that I have previously come across, which I found a very good way to drive adoption as well, is actually creating internal case studies around the usage of certain platforms from sales reps, where they actually do a deal analysis and how they use that tool as part of the deal. I think that sort of peer validation and actually putting somebody who's been really successful with using a certain tool, putting them on a pedestal in front of their internal peers, I think can be really effective. And there can be a podcast interview or a video like in that example that I've seen. So I think there's a lot of potential there and I haven't seen that done very often yet. I like that a lot. I'm going to steal some of these. Do it. <laughs> so the next one up is Pam Ditna. For those of you who are not familiar, Pam Ditna, she is a marketer. She's been on the State of Sales and Aidment podcast a couple of times already now. And the reason why she's my go-to person from a marketing point of view is because she's extremely sales enablement focused. So she's actually written a book about sales enablement from a marketing perspective. So I think for any marketers out there, Pam Dittner's book should be really a go-to resource because it really looks at sales enablement through that marketing lens. And I recently caught up with her to talk about the building of a sales and marketing stack and how to navigate 
those two stacks, especially if you're a marketer being tasked with enabling sales. Let's take a listen at what she had to say. Are he saying this? That software, it's kind of like a living organism. It's kind of like our kids. Like when they are baby, they are infant, or they are toddlers, or even they are teenagers. The way we engage with them needs to be a little bit different. The way we communicate with them needs to be different. The same thing. And unfortunately, that's the strangest analogy I'm going to use. That actually applies to software sourcing as well mm-hmm. and how you are using your tool. Because each company tried to increase their features, trying to increase their offering. So there's overlapping. You can see a lot of overlapping between the platforms. And that creates a huge problem, not just for the marketing operations and also sales operation, even sales enablement teams, because you have to constantly look into the different tools and how they should play together. All right. So, Devin, what is your experience in actually managing that dynamic? We spoke about new players in the sales tech space emerging. You know, Zoom is now entering sales tech as well because they have such a heavy user base in the sales space. You've got other sales enablement specific platforms branching out into the LMS space, call recording. Everybody seems to be overlapping. How do you manage that dynamic and how do you stay up to date with attempting to really maximize the value you get out of the sales tech stack for your organization? It's really not easy. And I'd say it's easily one of the biggest challenges because software is changing constantly. And to your point, each platform is kind of working to become the single source of truth for enablement. So you're trying to keep up. I'm living this right now with my tech stack where it's a full-time job to stay on top of all the feature updates. I'm attending webinars. I'm reading all the, the tool tips and the guides. And I'm like, wait, what do you do? How does this work? How does this change my strategy? How does it change the way I engage my team? And as you said, you have mind tickle creeping into call recording in CMS territory. Highspot now has LMS capabilities. We have Gong with email imports and deal tracking maybe even moving into the digital adoption space that Stephanie was talking about. And I'm definitely sitting in a position now where I had a moment last week talking to some of my vendors and they're like, well, how are you layering us with XYZ technology? And I'm like, I'm trying to figure that out because I didn't know you could do that. But personally, as we talked about it, I think it was about in our last episode, I tend to lean towards the point solutions because they tend to not always be superior to some of the folks that are trying to do it all. So is it worth it to me to have call recording LMS and content management in one place if it's the, and I'm not saying this is the case for the tech we're using, but if it's the mediocre version or if it's good enough, is the pain of bringing all those metrics together and telling the story heavy enough that I want to make that move or make that decision? And so I, I kind of think of these tools as trying to become like a Swiss army knife, but is the knife dull? Do the scissors not work? So to answer your question, I'm going back now. It's actually in my to-do list of how do I rethink my tech and how do I make sure myself and my team are fully up to speed on what's possible, what the intention of these new features are, and how we can create an experience for our teams that we support that feels easy and that doesn't feel heavy, like we're trying to piece together all this tech. So I don't have an answer because I'm sitting here now where I have to truly dedicate the time to learning about all of my tech to get there. And it's not something I've prioritized until this point where I'm like, holy smokes, everybody's launching new things right now. I need to get focused. It really is crazy. And it takes a lot of time and effort to actually stay up to date with all the features and the new versions being released as well. And so there seems to be so many moving parts in the mix. I think the reason why Pam specifically calls that out 
I think is also just on a meta level that marketing had to deal with this sort of issue in a different context for a while now, in the sense that marketing typically engages a whole lot of different service providers, like different agencies looking after different parts of the marketing operation, unless everything's in-house, of course, but most of the time that wouldn't be the case. And they constantly have to navigate that dynamic of reducing overlap, creating synergies and so on. So I think marketing in a sense is probably further ahead in the journey than sales enablement would be. So it might be a reason to catch up for coffee with your marketing head on the track for anybody listening. So from my experience as well, the monolithic do-it-all platform always had the disadvantage that they're generalists and not specialists, right? So you might be sacrificing some functionality there, but the advantage is that you don't have the headaches with managing integrations, managing data flows and so on. So I think what you're proposing is more for the savvier tech buyers out there that are able to manage all of that, but there's pros and cons with every solution as always. Yeah. And I hate to complain because like I'm sitting on the best tech stack I've ever had and I'm like, it's too much. What do I do? So it's, it's a good problem to have. Oh yeah. (laughs) First world problems, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So next up. So we had two interview guests and then the third episode for last month's podcast was actually a interview that I had with Malvina al from Stay Human Podcast. And rather than me playing a clip of myself, which would be pretty lame, <laughs> I play a clip of myself and then we discussed my own thoughts. I just want to touch on a, just an observation that came through that conversation. So essentially we talked about my work as a sales enablement consultant and I stayed away from the hard sell for anybody listening to or keen to listen to that episode. I was essentially talking about how I work with clients and how clients can get the maximum value out of working with a sales enablement consultant, even if they already have a sales enablement team. And one of the things that I was thinking about on the back of that episode was the fact that a lot of the sales enablement community, especially because it was born out of SaaS and the startup world. Um, is basically driven by those professionals and those more mature organizations in the sales enablement space. Mm -hmm. So my question to you, Devin, how do we avoid building an echo chamber where everybody's agreeing with the same thing and preaching the gospel of the sassy way to do enablement? And how do we are diverse in the sense that we really include enablers and sales leaders from other industries as well to gain new ideas? and to also get their input in what might work for them. Yeah, it's so interesting as someone who comes from the SaaS space, so I'm probably like facilitating this problem. But I I think it comes down to proactively reaching out to those folks. I think it's finding the networks where we're not seeing a ton of engagement. But if I may take us in a slightly different direction from an echo chamber perspective, because I know you and I were chatting about this work. Yes, like we skew very sassy in our networks, but it's also enablers encouraging and supporting the stuff that we're doing. And then we all take these best in class examples or look how perfect it was in my organization, maybe a SaaS company. And I'm going back to the B2C company or something where, you know, B2C versus B2B, something different. But then you go back to your organization with these best in class examples, these scholarly articles, these books, these anecdotes from, you know, the enablement stars that we see in a door and you go back to your CRO or your CEO who doesn't care or who is bought into enablement. You got to see at the table, they're listening to you, but they're following the shiny objects or your sales leader who's 
insistent on closing all of his own deals and doing whatever the heck he wants because he's the only person who can do it. And like, that's where I feel like we're celebrating and focusing on these really positive, easy to solve problems or making it seem really easy. And then we go back into our work environments that are challenging and chaotic. And I picture like fire and bombs going off and you're like, oh my God, but I have the perfect strategy and I have the perfect things. And so I feel like it's an echo chamber amongst enablers, which can make it harder to be more vulnerable, to ask those questions of, okay, I'm doing it all right. I'm doing it by the book. How do I drive change when I'm being met with constant resistance, even when I'm getting the appropriate signals? Like we're bought in, we love enablement, we're supporting training and and certifications, but you're being met with random acts, shiny objects, the things that you can't get out of. And I think to me, the echo chamber is more like perfect state, everything's great in the world of enablement. But when you take it back to your organization, it gets challenging. So that kind of addresses your question as well. But what are your thoughts? Unless I took us too far off course, Felix. No, no, I think that's a fair (laughs) comment. And I think that's an effect you generally have on social media. You know, if you look at your Instagram feed, I mean, you've got this trend now of people on LinkedIn taking selfies of themselves crying, right? But when you look at other social platforms, everybody's always trying to present themselves in a positive light. And obviously community engagement is also in a sense for a lot of people, personal brand building. And I can see how some people might be hesitant to really be vulnerable and really sharing their challenges because they feel like, okay, if I'm really the star in my role that I'm projecting to be, can I really share that I'm struggling with this thing, which I think most people probably have worked out because I see nobody else talking about that. So I think exactly that's a very interesting point you make and probably something worth looking at. And I don't know if it comes down to the mechanics of the communities or mm-hmm. if there should be some sort of anonymous way to post certain things or if there should be a separate safe space being created for people to share. Yeah, I think it's important to share those challenges. But yeah, it's always the same on social media. Nobody likes to share when they're struggling, when they think they shouldn't. So I think important for the development. But I think the other thing as well is what I'm also trying to do with the podcast more and more is invite enablers and sales leaders from other industries because I really find it interesting to hear their take on things because they're not as immersed in the sassy way of doing things. There's more of a sober approach to enablement because they're less influenced by their peers, possibly because not as many enablers in their space do the same thing. So they're more analytical. So I always find it quite interesting. So I'm really curious to learn more about spaces like manufacturing and travel and retail and all of those industries, which are not very often talked about in the sales enablement communities. That's so interesting. That's it for the inside segment. Next up, I want to talk with you about some of the news items that have recently come up in the sales enablement space. So the very first news announcement I want to share is that I am apparently now a sales enablement influencer because I have been included in the sales enablement influencers outlook at 2022 by CloudShare. Woo. So considering your proximity to Coachella, is there anything that I need to consider now that I'm an influencer? Do I need to start using certain products? How do I go about brand endorsements? Devin, tell me all about it. Yeah, I'd say more photos of food, less staged photos of you crying. We want to put you in a positive light, Felix. A flower crown never hurts when you're an influencer. You've got to get have a ring light everywhere you go. You're almost there. I feel like you're almost there. We'll see. We'll see. We got to get you some endorsements, maybe like a microphone or headphone endorsement. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. But tell us a little bit more about this. I want to know more about the enablement influencers. They're essentially talking about the challenges that people see. So there were other people like 
Mike Hunkel, Stephanie Sarabian. Amazing. And a bunch of others. And yeah, essentially talking about the challenges, the trends that are being observed. There was also a recording of a roundtable. I wasn't able to attend the roundtable live because it was in the middle of the night for me. So I just sent in some videos that they were playing of me just holding a monologue, contemplating sales, the state of sales enablement. Sounds appropriate. <laughs> That's right. So for anybody keen to tune in, it's the Sales Enablement Influencers Outlook 2022 by CloudShare. And there will also be a document that will be distributed through LinkedIn soon. So yeah, check that out if you're keen to hear what the sales enablement folks from around the world have to say. I love it. The next item that we have is the Sales Enablement Collective Landscape Report 2022. What is that all about, Devin? Yeah, I am a little bit too excited for this one. So this is the latest report from the Sales Enablement Collective, as you mentioned, and it's designed to unpack the current sales enablement landscape. So it's in progress right now. What I couldn't find was an end date, but it may just be my lack of research skills. So I'm not sure when it closes, but it's pretty lengthy. It took me a, quite a few minutes to finish because I wanted to be very thoughtful. But basically, they're looking at everything from team size to metrics to title, structure, reporting lines, and everything in between. And it's intended to be, as they say, a driving force in bringing alignment to enablement professionals across the globe. But what I, I think is really interesting and why I'm especially excited for the topics that we're covering today and for this report is something uh, you and I were chatting about briefly last week in how there are so many, as we talked about at length, enablement groups, reports, industry overviews, and so many enablement jobs now, which is so exciting. But what still remains to be true is that there are so many varying opinions and perspectives and variations, I guess, on how enablement can be deployed and really what enablement does by industry. So to your point, I, I think in the SaaS space, it's slightly more clearly defined, but I'm thinking about industry, company size, org structure, everything in between. What should enablement look like when it comes to different industries and, and different companies? And what I found is not just me, I think it's everybody, the lack of clarity makes moving jobs and skill development kind of challenging because a sales enablement manager at one company, even a SaaS company, right, can be dramatically different from a similar company, which is very frustrating. And so while we're making tons of progress, and again, reports, many of them that we're reviewing today and the ones that are being developed now are hopefully going to help us to put a finer point on some of this. But I talk to a lot of enablement or companies that are looking to bring in enablement, and I, I know you do as well, Felix. And and there's still so many misconceptions, especially and kind of why I went on that little tangent about us being in our enablement echo chamber and other folks in marketing, operations, engineering and product roles don't really get it. And so, again, I was talking to a company and they were looking for enablement. And so I was like, let's unpack it. Tell me what your goals are. What do you want to achieve? And what they shared with me, they need a sales process methodology, CRM, playbooks, resources, everything in between. And, and to me, I'm like, well, that's like three to four roles in one, and you're not going to get one person in to do it or even do it remotely well. And so, again, that's more of like an educational opportunity, getting people comfortable with what enablement is, what the various roles are. But when I think about it, some companies roll that into one role. So it's interesting to me, again, to see how different these companies are set up. And something that we're going to talk about in one of the later reports is where enablement should report and what that should look like. And so I was talking to another company who's looking to bring in enablement, they have like pockets of enablement and training. They get it, they want it, but they want to keep enablement reporting into the functional leads. 
They don't want to bring training and enablement into the same house. They don't want to do that to create consistency because they feel that that's the right way. But we don't have the data to back that being the right or wrong way to do it. So it's harder to influence or get folks on the same page or on the right track. So I'm kind of just riffing on a few things because as I was looking at this report, I'm like, maybe this will answer all of my questions. It'll be that like magic wand. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on the subject in general, like the lack of consistency or am I being too harsh on the enablement world? No, I think it's a fair point. I think what will probably crystallize over time in the enablement space is that there will be certain playbooks for certain types of companies in terms of the roadmap, like in successfully rolling it out at the moment. Everybody's still kind of winging it. Yeah. It's essentially the thing that sales enablement or enablement in general is attempting to avoid for the people that they service internally, they do themselves, you know, so. Exactly. Or the leadership of companies anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think there will probably be a stage where you have the different sort of playbooks for different company sizes and different industries, and there will probably be crystallizing over time as the knowledge of body around sales enablement is forming. So at the moment, we're just trying to get our act together for sales enablement as a whole, but I think there will be more nuance over time to address the needs of different kinds of organizations. Yeah. One thought as well on those research reports driven by communities. I'm not sure if they do that here, but I think what is also important is to actually interview people that are not or involve people that are not necessarily part of the community to actually yes. avoid that echo chamber. So exactly. if we talk about sales enablement adoption or the adoption of certain parts of sales enablement, which might not be sitting under a sales enablement function, I think those kind of things can only be identified if you actually interview sales leaders in general or business leaders in general. So I hope that is a consideration in building these reports, because otherwise we create a skewed picture of reality by only quizzing people like us right. and everybody agreeing with each other. That doesn't bring us really forward. I think those really juicy insights happen if you paint a picture of the real world. Yeah. I hope the folks from the Sales Enablement Collective manage to do that. Yes, if you're listening. But no, no, you're spot on. And and I think there is definitely so much momentum and, and consistency that's happening as we speak. I'm very excited to see where we go. Awesome. So the next one that we have is an announcement regarding the sales enablement squad, Devin. What happened there? Oh my gosh. I'm back. I took a little break, Felix, but I'm back. So I was so excited because I said, oh my God, the Enablement Squad has been acquired by Workground. And the Enablement Squad is one of the largest online communities for enablement professionals. I am a huge fan of the Enablement Squad in the founder's own words. So Stephanie and Matt, their goal has been to provide enablement leaders and practitioners a space where they're able to share best practices, ask questions, and support one another. I love this. I'm so excited for them and, and for the community that they've built. And if it continues to be an experience that feels tech agnostic, if at all possible, I'm all the way in and I, I'm all the way in anyway. But the squad is such a welcoming community. And again, I think it's always interesting to see what happens when groups like this get acquired by technology companies. But I think there's just an opportunity for even more expanded thought leadership and insights from this group. And of course, I think the intention for the acquisition was all about building out a more robust and holistic community for Workroom, but again, keeping the momentum going from what the squad had built. So really excited. I When I saw that pop up on LinkedIn, I was like, this is so cool. What are your thoughts, Felix? Yeah, I agree. I think, as you said, it's important that they remain tech agnostic. 
I always hope that those sort of acquisitions are driven by the desire to use it as a market research tool and to stay close yeah. to the people that you try to sell to rather than a marketing channel. As soon as it's being seen as a marketing channel, that's the start of the end yeah. for the community to be, actually be seen as valuable. So I think vendors acquiring these kind of communities, using them as research tools, I think it is strategically way smarter to actually approach it that way. Again, happy for Stephanie and Matt. I have interviewed them for a episode that is coming up as well, where we talked about the community and also about the sales enablement hackathon that they've been running. Really interesting concept. So yeah, congrats again to those guys. I think it's great. And yeah, work ramp. Don't mess it up, please. Don't mess it up. I know. <laughs> like, what's a good, nice way to say that? But no, it's great news. Yeah, yeah. The other item that I also just very briefly want to mention, because we have so much to cover today, is the top performing sales manager report by Rain Group. Rain Group, for those people that are not familiar, they are a sales training organization, and they've essentially run a huge study analyzing the sort of impact or what constitutes top performing sales managers and what sort of impact that has. So. That's something that I would also recommend everybody looking at. Again, I don't want to dive too deep into the numbers right now because we have a whole bunch of other things to cover, but it's probably something worth looking at just simply because Rain Group is operating globally and they have a large pool of knowledge to draw from. So quite interesting report as well. Now, the next one that we have coming up is the Gartner report, build an effortless buying experience with revenue enablement. So the thing about Gartner reports, right, is that you always have to see that they are designing these reports for their target audience, which are larger organizations. But I think this report has actually been around for a while already. So it's not just come out now, but it's just been promoted to me again via email. So that's why it's just top of mind. But why I think that's interesting is, so they, they use a use case of an extremely complex stakeholder environment. Lots of differentiated sales channels, lots of different sales related teams. And I think that is very interesting from a roadmap perspective. So if you're a sales enablement leader like Devin, who's building their empire and building the roadmap for a large sales enablement team, I think this can inform the vision. Then the other use case, I guess, for sales enablers that could be interesting is if you operate in a very large organization in a large corporate environment with lots of different resources, very complex team structure. I think this report could also be interesting because it puts some clarity around the sort of structures that you should be looking at to build a, an effective revenue enablement function. Have you had a chance to look at the report, Devin? Yes. So I looked through rather quickly and I keyed in on the things that I personally got excited about, which is, I think, not how you're supposed to read the report. But Coming off of our, our last topic for discussion, this is a super hot topic for me. As you mentioned, I'm obsessed with my current enablement org structure. I think it's really cool. It's created a ton of consistency and efficiency. And this report kind of gloriously reinforces my case and the case for a true revenue enablement function or, you know, an enablement center of excellence where processes, best practices, tech strategy stem from a unified source to create an incredible experience for our buyer. And again, it reinforces the ability to create that standardization, efficiency, and scalability, which is not possible if we're not operating in that way. There was a number in here that I, I thought was interesting. 
And I know we're not getting too into the stats, but I think it's that by 2025, more than 60% of frontline sales enablement organizations will enable additional customer-facing roles. And by 2026, revenue enablement will appear in 10% of all enablement titles in the B2B sales market, which I thought was super interesting. Again, creating that holistic enablement structure and operating model to create a super consistent and incredible buyer experience. So I was really excited about this report. I actually printed it out for my flight tomorrow because I want to dig in deeper, but yeah, it was a good one. Very good. We started off with sales enablement, now it's revenue enablement. Do you think there's a further evolution coming down the track where enablement is more of a corporate role that looks at the entire organization, let's say, including development operations, including HR, including IT? Do you see the potential for the principles of enablement also being applied to other parts of the organization? Without a doubt. I think every single team can benefit from the consistency and, again, repeatability, predictability that enablement brings, the supercharged change management that comes with a tight enablement program. And even in my organization, we're not a huge company and we have teams, they're not customer facing, but they do a ton of really important work and they need hyper-targeted role-based onboarding, certification programs, upskilling programs. And so we're taking our framework and kind of handing it over to them without being able to support them fully. And they're taking it and running with it so that when we can bring them into the fold, they're following all of the best practices via our enablement strategy. We started calling our L&D team people enablement because it's company-wide. But again, we want them to key in on certain teams that we're not able to support via the revenue org. So I think without a doubt, Again, my thoughts and opinions are not scientifically backed, so I don't know if that's the right approach, but I see it organically happening in my organization, and I'm trying to embrace it and and bring as many folks into the fold as we can, again, to create that super consistent experience for our teams. Anybody joining Persado from day one, they have an incredible experience, whether they're customer-facing or not, consistent. We certify folks on our messaging and positioning, and then the folks that get moved into the Everboarding program on the revenue side have an incredibly buttoned up and beautiful experience, but we want to create that for the whole organization because I think there's value. That's awesome. So I recently saw this on LinkedIn, there's one more guys actually, especially in the B2B space, venturing into the comedy space. They're often also very active on TikTok and do these kind of skits, right? And there was one, unfortunately, I can't remember his name, but he did a skit on what if other departments were being measured just like sales. And they were walking into the HR department and saying, you know, just remember, if you don't enter it into the talent acquisition system, it hasn't <laughs> happened. Or if you don't hit your quota with such and such, you're fired next month or whatever, you know. So it's kind of like taking those sort of KPIs of other departments into the sales context. And that actually made me think that actually broadening the scope of enablement across other departments without other departments, obviously having a revenue target or quota, but it might be an opportunity also to relate their roles more into the overall business performance context. Because I know even for marketing, which is the second closest related to revenue after sales, even they are lacking that focus on revenue oftentimes, like just focusing on MQLs and on branding. So even there, there's a shortfall. But then if you move into other departments, like they even further remove. So I think relating activity, for example, across the HR department on what sort of candidates are being sourced and what sort of impact that has on the overall company performance, or also 
sharing with the development team what sort of impact they're creating with their work and how that relates back to revenue and so on. I think that's an opportunity just generally to operate in a more revenue-focused way rather than just seeing certain departments as a cost center. Exactly. Yeah, that's my prediction anyway for the future of enablement. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of scope, especially for fast-growing startups like Presado to actually take that into account and then build it into the DNA of the business. So I'm really, really curious to see what's happening in that space in the future. Yeah. Felix, a quick question and really a comment, because I know we were talking about turning into a golden girl and now you are an influencer and you, you mentioned TikTok. So I joined TikTok maybe a month ago. I think I might be following one person, but I want to watch the TikTok that you just mentioned and I would love some good enablement recommendation so we can talk after our chat today but absolutely now that you're an influencer i want to be inspired so yeah yeah totally totally okay i can hook you up with my influencer mates so we uh get those views going uh so funny enough i actually watch most of the tiktok videos on linkedin because they always repost them yeah but i hear my uncle is also on tiktok now so uh, get ready for some uh, funky content as well i'm so ready the first video i was a bit disappointed because it was just a powerpoint slide of him talking over it on TikTok, so I'm not sure how viral they will go, but there's certainly a lot of substance there. So I will follow him anyway. Yes. Okay. I'll put that on my list. He needs like a cute puppy jumping in the background while he's presenting or something or anyway. I like it. <laughs> That's right. So what do we have next? Ah, oh, yeah. Demand metrics, Beckett sales training and onboarding reports. That was yours. What is that all about? Yeah, this was a good one. I had to print out our list today because it's so detailed. This is one I'm going to recommend everybody check out. It's a report by Demand Metric and Speckit, as you mentioned, the state of sales onboarding and training. It ran from, I think, February to March 2022. They reached out to folks in a number of different roles from enablement to operations, sales folks, sales leaders. So interesting insights from those groups. Some of their top findings. So Felix, it's right at the front. We can kind of just pop through the first few slides to set the stage. And I, I won't dig into too much detail, but essentially they say sales reps will leave their jobs if the training or onboarding experience is poor. Learning preferences have evolved, which I think we could probably spend two hours talking about. Sales reps spend too much time searching for information. Sales leaders recognize the relationship between hiring, onboarding, and revenue growth. And sales leaders must ensure that reps start off on the right foot via a stellar onboarding program. And then finally, sales leaders are rolling out processes that are not being followed. So nothing surprising there on the findings front, but I think where they unpack each of these elements, it gets pretty interesting. But some takeaways for me that I think are worth just having a quick chat about. And again, nothing profoundly groundbreaking here, but onboarding can make or break the new hire experience. And what they say is it can also impact their longevity with the company. The focus here is that onboarding is more than simply reducing ramp time, which we know is super important but that it sets the stage for an incredibly welcoming and positive experience. It also drives learning and enablement buy-in and adoption from day one, which selfishly I love. And it can also serve as a valuable tool to bring in top talent. And I know our sales leaders highlight not only our onboarding program, but our tech stack, our playbooks, when they're talking to talent to give them a reason to come on board to say, hey, we've got you covered from day one till hopefully not for a while, but your last day here with us. And so... Again, I think across the board, a terrific onboarding experience coupled with a very thoughtful everboarding experience is going to help drive that satisfaction and retention. Now we have to do it right. And I think as we all know, just having a good onboarding experience isn't good enough. It has to be high quality. It has to align to how our reps want to learn. 
And of course, it is vital to their success early on. One thing they kind of deep dive into here is why onboarding fails. And I think a few of the things they mentioned are people are trying to share way too much information too soon, which makes me think of my uncle and chunking, layering and sequencing content in a thoughtful way. No playbooks, lack of processes or documented processes. And what they call out is that 47% of account executives left a sales job due to a lack of training or poor onboarding experience. So again, nothing shocking, but quite interesting. And they do unpack a little bit of, of where we need to go. And actually, I would love to put some of these reports together because the Mind Tickle survey that we're going to talk about deep dives into what you need to do step by step to improve your onboarding experience. But really, I think curating the right experience, making it feel like it's part of the employee's job that they're not running certifications for Acme brand, but for actual customers in their pipeline and making it feel very purposeful is key to creating a program that's going to resonate with the teams. There's a couple of other things that I thought were interesting, but before I keep talking, Felix, any thoughts on the onboarding piece? Yeah, so you mentioned that's really a factor that's being seen as valuable for new hires when they start in a role. Do you have any insights to which degree the presence of sales enablement and the sales enablement process and sales enablement initiatives like the onboarding program is being seen as a recruitment tool by sales managers? Have you had any feedback around that? We just came out of a QBR with our sales team last week, and we were talking about how they actually showcase not only the onboarding program, but we do have everything aligned to a very hyper-specific 30-60-90 plan. So once you finish that first 30-day program, which I think is kind of the standard, one of the reports we looked at was talking about a typical four-week flow. We give the teams the ability to kind of easily segue into everboarding, where there are still certifications at your 60-day and 90-day mark. But as I mentioned, it's part of prep for your client meeting. So it's being that purposeful practice. So it doesn't feel like, oh, enablement's here with another role play and another certification. It's all part of getting you prepped for that first, second, third customer meeting. So we really try hard to make it feel like just part of the everyday for our teams. And so why I took that long journey. So our sales leaders actually share that 30, 60, 90 plan, what that 30 day program looks like, what success looks like. We have a learning quota. So we set the stage early on. And, and again, that's showcased pretty heavily so that our potential new reps that are coming on board know I'm going to be supported. I have everything I need. I know exactly what's expected of me. And now I can kind of take the reins myself, lean in with my manager, lean in with enablement. So they are actively sharing that. And I think you and I chatted about this a couple of weeks ago, but we just launched interactive playbooks on Highspot. We received insane, people were so excited about this. Like our team was literally cheering and I was like, has no one seen a playbook, but that's okay. But they also <laughs> showcased that I'm not tooting my own horn. This is myself and my team. They showcased that as well. Because I think people want to know if I'm coming on board, do you have your stuff together? Am I going to come here and have to build everything myself? Is there a set process? What is success going to mean? And so I think that creates that layer of comfort, but also like this company has it together. They have a plan for me. So that was my very, very long way of saying, yes, our sales leadership team showcases enablement programming as well as onboarding and continuing education in that hiring process. Yeah, that's awesome. When I think back to my days in sales, I think the lack of sales enablement and when you compare it today, I think if I were to go back into a sales rep role, that would be for me at least a very significant factor of deciding whether I join a company or not, which is basically the question of whether a company has or does not have sales enablement. Yeah. It becomes the question of 
okay, how likely am I to hit my quota or not and earn lots of money, right? So yeah. which one do you want? So yeah, not to be underestimated. But you also mentioned there were a couple of other aspects you wanted to touch on. Yeah, so very quickly, and we kind of touched upon them via the last little deep dive. But the big thing that called out to me is most reps want to learn by doing. They don't want to watch videos. They don't want to, I mean, no surprise there, right? Like, just give me the reins. Let me just figure it out. But as we know, it can't always be learning by doing and it can't be training in person or all on demand or all micro learning or all. So there has to be a, a blended approach to how we do things. And there has to be that combination of self-directed and hybrid learning. But I think it's incredibly important to make anything we expect our reps to do, whether it's an onboarding and everboarding, be purposeful to their job. So if they want to learn how to update the CRM, that's a bad example. That's like the worst example. Let's say deliver a demo, a custom demo. We can give them the opportunity to practice, make sure they have a demo on the books with a customer, work with them, coach them, and then let them deliver that live. So it's all part of the enablement flow. Yes, they may have to watch a couple three-minute videos or examples of their teammates doing it, but they'll have the opportunity to practice with feedback and then deliver that for additional feedback. So again, I used to lean very hard into like our fake brand and getting them, you know, certified on Acme, whatever company. And so now I we've kind of done away with that where we can. Obviously, early on, some of it is a little more curated, but we really focus on giving the teams the opportunity to practice, role play, be certified in things that are actually going to help them generate revenue for the organization. And then this was interesting and, and not surprising, but top performers are two times more likely to thrive in a remote training environment than poor performers, which I guess kind of makes sense. If you're proactive, a self-starter, you're more likely to be a top performer. If you're someone who's maybe not comfortable, maybe not being proactive with your manager, you know you're kind of suffering, you're probably going to not engage as much and see what you can get away with. So I thought those were really interesting. There's about 10 other insights I have here, but I think we have three other items to get to. So read the report. It was awesome. And we'll deep dive someday into the other details. Cool. So next couple of items, just really quickly, because we're running out of time and I'm really keen to cover the social media bust that we had in the last month. But just two items that I also wanted to draw your attention to, because I think they're interesting reports. Again, the Sales Enablement Collective has released a report about tech tools. The Sales Enablement Tools of Choice 2022, they essentially list some of the key categories here with some of the key players and some of the considerations and also the indicative pricing. I guess, yeah, interesting report, good starting point for people that are just starting out to build their stack. Devin, I'm curious to know, if you look at this list of categories here, so they have CRM, CMS, LMS, conversational intelligence, pipeline analytics and forecasting, prospecting and segmentation tools, and demo automation. Do you think they have all categories covered that are worth considering or is there anything else? This is another one that I bookmarked for my tech research that I need to do. I think for the most part, I see everything that I'm currently using or thinking about. But that doesn't mean that this is an exhaustive list. I think for me, this looks pretty solid. What was especially interesting to me is that I think there's overlap in how the specific tech is being categorized in some cases. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Or like, as we talked about earlier, different companies starting to do more and more and are they present in the right categories now that they can do certain things. So that's really where I was focusing my efforts. But I think the categories feel right. Did you feel like there was anything missing? No, I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. I think just generally 
self-enabling communities and those sort of reports should always be utilized as a starting point. I think it is still worthwhile to do further investigation and not take that as your immediate shortlist of things that you should be considering or the vendors that you should be talking to. I think there's further research required. I think G2 Crowd, yeah. for example, is a good site to get a more holistic view of what's out there. Also uh, get reviews of real world users and that sort of thing. So I think it's a good starting point for investigation if you're actually looking at purchasing certain tech. And I think it also gives you the opportunity to stay up to date with certain categories if you just want to stay up to date and in the know when it comes to sales tech. But yeah, I think, yeah, pretty much everything covered more or less. Yeah. The thing I liked here is you see the different tech mentioned in all the communities we talked about, but I saw a couple of items where I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that. I need to bookmark this and I need to go back to it because I'm very happy with my tech stack. But if there's something new and better, I want to make sure I know about it. And so this kind of stuff or these types of reports generally help me to like, oh, what do I need to research? What's new and cool? What are some of the new categories or ways that we're categorizing items that I hadn't thought of before when I'm searching for content? So for me, this is definitely a bookmark and I'm going to go back through it to see what I'm missing out on. Sounds good. <laughs> hey, we've got another audience question. So Aaron is asking any summits or conferences that you recommend attending for sales enablement leaders? Hmm. There's a few coming up. The yeah, Sales Enablement Society, they have an event coming up in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I think it's also remotely accessible. So and that would be something considering because I know there's a lot of people that I really value being involved as speakers as well. So something to consider. And I know that the Sales Enablement Collective, they get a lot of airtime today, I feel like. Yes. They have a lot of events just recently. I think there's one coming up in Sydney, actually. Mm. But yeah, they're the only ones on my radar. But that's probably also something worth us including in future episodes, just upcoming events. Yeah. So people stay connected with the Sales Enablement community beyond the Slack channels. Yeah. And there's also, I think, a Sales Enablement Soiree. I feel like I got something about that from uh, Sales Enablement Pro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of good ones. Let's add it to the run sheet, Felix. We will, we will. I love it. So just one last report out of the thousands of reports that we covered today. Just briefly, so Mind Tickle has actually launched a report as well that I recommend everybody look at. It's the State of Sales Readiness 2022. What I find particularly interesting here is that it's a benchmark report, which means that because MindTickle is such a data-driven platform, they have actually extracted a lot of them, like broader data from all the users that they have around the world, which is, I think, according to the numbers here, over mm-hmm. a million users. They've extracted a whole bunch of benchmark data about sales readiness. So yeah, again, we're running out of time. Otherwise, we would dive into that. But that's definitely a report I would recommend everybody look at as well. If you are thinking about sales readiness right now, again, it's the MindTickle State of Sales Readiness 2022 report. Mm-hmm. Cool. Just to finish up, just a couple of items about what's happening on social media, Devin. There was a post by Christina Brady. She's been previously featured. So what was that all about? Yeah, this one was more of a call to action or a call for input, which I thought was interesting because we've been talking about enabling other functions beyond sales. And so she put out a, a post on CS enablement and was asking some questions around folks that are looking to build CS enablement in their organization or even like scale their CS org and how to do that via enablement. So it was more of a question and looking into what do different companies do? How do they think about customer success? Is customer success quota carrying? 
And then thinking about CSM resources around training, skill development, and what needs to happen on that front. And I was really just excited to see the like CS organizations and CS enablement get some spotlight and a topic that I was hoping to dig into in this post, and I may need to respond to it on my flight tomorrow as well, is CS metrics and what that could look like. A leader in my organization brought up the customer success qualified lead and bringing that metric into our organization. I think it was something created by Gainsight, but it's similar to, you know, a marketing qualified lead or a sales qualified lead but it's a super high value lead because it's sourced from an existing customer. I want to kind of dig into what people are thinking about from a CS metrics perspective, because for me, that one tends to be a little bit more vague and a a little bit more wishy, if you will, than sales metrics, even from an onboarding perspective. So I was really interested in the discussion here and thinking about how folks are scaling and growing their customer success organizations as my company is going through some growth and some really exciting shifts there. Mm. Definitely something worth considering. I think CS doesn't get enough airtime yeah. in that whole discussion. If you think about the relationship between a vendor and a client as a relationship, like a human relationship between two people, yeah. you essentially have sales courting the other person, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then once they say yes, they hand them over to another person and that relationship might take a completely different direction. Yeah. So I think the involvement of CS and the constant feedback loop from CS to sales and the other way around, I think it's so, so important and cannot be done in a brief handover between the two. Yeah. And I think, again, as we talked about revenue enablement and the revenue enablement function earlier, I think this is really something that can be driven by revenue enablement. Yeah. So absolutely relevant. The last post I also wanted to touch on was this one here from Richard Smith. So he's VP of sales for Allego. He was just talking about what I would consider human-centered design Mm -hmm. of a sales process. And he says, for example, less discovery calls, which sounds like a one-way interrogation and the stubbornness to hold back showing the product, more discovery calls, which involve discovery, high-level demo, and letting the prospect get a taste of the product and so on. So he's basically advocating for a less transactional and formulaic sales approach to a more human-centered sales approach especially in the context of the book review from last month, yep. Devin, which was by Andy Paul yep. about the selling without selling out and the more human approach to sales. I think that's certainly something that is worth considering. And it's something that's coming up over and over again. And I think especially in the context of more and more technology being introduced with the aim to scale, it is really important to combine the individual talents and the individual skills of salespeople and also the intuition of salespeople and the soft skills with the process and with the knowledge what works and kind of walk that thin line between the two. And I think one is as little correct as the other if you do too much of it. Yeah. But I think it's all about the balance as always. Totally. I read this and I, I just kept thinking of the analogy that early stage sales is like dating. You're not going to ask for the keys to someone's house on the first date. You got to get to know them. You got to learn. You got to give something. You got to take a little. It's a relationship. And as Andy said, you're not persuading, you're influencing. And you do that through relationship building. So I I really liked this post. That's right. Well, Devin, I had a great time chatting to you as always. I'm here. I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one that's experiencing an accelerated (laughs) aging process. Join the club. Join the club, Felix. Any parting thoughts? 
for our audience today? Yeah, so I am super excited. I'm going to be joining some other amazing enablers to speak at the Mind Tickle Road to Readiness Roadshow. And we're actually going to be unpacking some of the insights from the report that you mentioned today. So we're talking about sales onboarding, metrics, tracking, readiness, and how enablement can impact all of it. And that's this Wednesday, June 22nd in New York City. So really excited to be there. Awesome. New York, you're such a judge setter. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) I've made Netflix recommendations before, but this one is a really good one too. So anybody who knows me is a massive basketball fan. So what I can recommend is The Hustle on Netflix featuring Adam Sandler. So anybody who thought Adam Sandler is not a proper actor should have their minds changed after watching that one. It's a really awesome basketball movie, probably the best one. My wife even enjoyed it. So can't go with that. It's a great endorsement. And yeah, also congrats to the Warriors for winning the championship. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. As always, thank you so much for joining. That was it for this month in sales enablement. Please connect with us on LinkedIn if we're not already connected. Thank you so much for joining. And that's it from us from this month in sales enablement. Next time on the State of Sales Enablement. Unfortunately, only, I'd say only 20% of the founders I meet with have nailed their product market fit. Most of them focus too much on what they're offering and how it's better than anything else in the market. And your friends and family care about you, but the prospects you're going after, all they care about is their issue and whether or not you can fix it. If you don't know what their issue is, you're not gonna get them to respond.